Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say, this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand. One of our ushers in the back will get one to you. Uh, I think we got one right over here. And then if you don't have a Bible, uh, that's our gift to you. Take that, read it every single day, because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen. Three of you. Awesome. Uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? <clears throat> Amen. So turn in your Bible to the book of Titus. We've been in a series in Titus for a few weeks now. And if you're new to the scriptures, you can start in the right, turn left. You'll find Titus much faster. We're going to be <clears throat> in chapter two of Titus for uh, the, I think, third time. And uh, so we're going to read uh, all of Titus chapter two today and kind of uh, give the main parts, kind of the overview or the highlights, if you will, of this particular passage, the big takeaways. And, uh, and then ultimately, um, I hope <clears throat> to encourage you um, and give you something to think about when we leave here today. So look at Ch Titus chapter two, starting in verse one. Say amen when you're there. <clears throat> if you're watching on the online campus, we're so glad that you're joining us today. I know we got people from all over watching, and so we're so glad. But if you are local, uh, we want to encourage you to get here in person. You were never meant to be isolated alone. I know uh, maybe uh, with sickness on a, a rise around, we all know we've all kind of been through it over the past few weeks and moving volunteers around and, and different spots even today. Uh, but if you're healthy, you're able, uh, let me just give you a charge. Get here in person because uh, you can't replace it. Uh, I know you can gather your family around, you can grab some friends, uh, but you were never meant to be isolated alone and life is better together. I promise you. Amen. 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 So uh, Titus chapter two, starting in verse one <clears throat> says this, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-control, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Somebody say amen. amen. They are to teach what is good, and so to train the young women to love their husbands and children. All the husbands and children said amen. 
to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. It does not say that women are to be submissive to men, but it says in accordance with the one in which you have agreed to spend your life and to serve one another, submit to your own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Look at your brother and say, watch your mouth. So that an opponent may not be able, <clears throat> may be put, that a, an, opponent, an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything that they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Verse 11, <clears throat> for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live a self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession let me re read this again who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works declare these things exhort these things rebuke with all authority let no one disregard you will you pray with me <clears throat> gracious heavenly father we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us i ask for your grace today that you would help us with all with all godliness, with all sober-mindedness, will you help us look at these passages? Will you stir us? Will you encourage us for your glory and the good of this valley? And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So I want to deal with uh, some of the details of this particular text as we've been talking in this series about uh, living a life in such a way that we live for God and for culture. Uh, what I mean by that is we live in such a way for God that we impact the world around us, that we're not quarantined from the world. And I used to say this years ago, and it definitely went off better before COVID, uh, the idea of not quarantining from the world. How many of you know there, there were church settings and church denominations that believe that if we could just get away from all the bad people and then you realize you got in the church and you're still with all the bad people. <clears throat> you remember that? Wasn't that awesome, right? If you, if you thought uh, that, that the church, the gathering of the people of God was going to be full of a group of people who were perfect, the moment you walked into the room, friend, it ceased to be perfect, Amen. And we're like, what do, you, what do you mean by that, <laughs> right? Uh, the idea is that this is a bunch of people, not, uh, not perfect people, but people who are pursuing the one who is perfect, amen? Christianity is not about perfection, it's about a pursuit. 
Christianity is about what is my direction? Who am I facing? Where am I going? Uh, I might trip, stumble, and fall along the way. I might crawl. I might walk. Some of us might outrun the other one, but be careful. Least you think you stand, least you might fall. Amen? And so I have to be careful that how I see the church and but ultimately we live in such a way that we do our best and to struggle forward towards the person of Jesus that in our lives we begin to live upright holy lives we become increasingly aware of God's work in our life we become increasingly aware of the old us in our lives. Some of you remember that guy, right? That gal. Some of you need to have a conversation with that guy or gal and tell them to knock it off, right? And I'm, I'm going to move forward with what God has done in my life moving forward. So the further I travel with Jesus, the more heightened I am that there's a new me and an old me. And, and the old me is, is, is there, but the Bible says that, that the old me has been rendered powerless, uh, you may have heard it this way, that, that if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, one way of translating it says the old has passed away. Uh, but the reality is, is a better rendering of this passage, a better translation is to say that the old me is rendered powerless. I'm aware of the old me, but I'm moving with what God has for me going forward in the new life that God has for me. And so what I find is that that is true of everyone who follows Jesus and is a part of the gathering of uh, the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a place. The church is a group of people that gather together around the one person. His name is Jesus. In the Greek, it's this word uh, ekklesia, the church, where we get this word church, ekklesia, which literally means the gathering of the people of God. And so I have to be careful because, uh, you know, I, I got a bunch of PKs, a bunch of pastors, kids, and, and all the time we, we talk in ways that aren't congruent with actual scripture. This is how we pick up on this. Uh, oftentimes, uh, when, when my daughter says, where's daddy going? We say, he's going to the church, right? And is it a daddy go to church? I go to church. Can I go with you, daddy? Can I go to church? And, and, and yet, we pick up on these, uh, these terms, like this morning you said, I'm going to get up and we're going to get ready for church and we're going to go to church. Come on, get it together, kids. Let's go to church. Hey, you're late for Right? But the reality is, is, is we have to get our language to be congruent with what we actually believe. You don't go to church. You are the three of you. Thank you, friends. You don't go to church. You are the man. That's good news. You are the gathering. You are the children of God gathered together for a family Meeting. Look at somebody and look at somebody who's not actually your biological family. Look at somebody you don't know and go, you're my family. Right? You guys got to look a long way away before you find somebody who's not related to you guys. 
and, and uh, they roll deep. And, uh, and yet, this is a family meeting, and in family meetings, we begin to deal with the structure and the roles. We begin to look at what each of us are doing and contributing to the family. That's the idea of Titus, the passage that we just read. He begins to tell that in the family meeting, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And he begins to give marching orders. He begins to to, to charge the family. And he begins to say things like older men are to be sober-minded. That is in light of, of how we think about Alcohol, how we think about uh, our intoxication, we should be sober minded. Amen. We should be dignified and self controlled. But sober minded is also that you're not tossed to and fro by every scheme, by everything that comes along, every, every business deal that you think is going to double your money. And, and every time, like, hey, listen, baby, I think we should refi the house because I got this new thing. And she's like, hey, but what about the last thing? And you're like, no, 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 this time it's going to work out. And, and Paul goes, no, 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 be sober minded, be, be grounded in what you think you live in this world so friend live in this world put foolish childish things away and let rubber meet the road and be grounded in your thinking men be grounded and sober-minded so that you can live dignified not in shame not putting your head down but shoulders back head up knowing that you have thought well about the decisions that you have made teach older men to be dignified and then you're going to see this in every single charge in every different role to be self-controlled to be self-controlled sound in faith in love i love that he charges men to do that in love right in a culture where men were not known to be loving in a culture, and maybe you even feel like that now, that's not, that's not something new. That's always been normative. It is a new thing for men to look at their children and not look at them as objects, but to say, I love you because you are mine. This is a revolutionary idea. They weren't just property. They weren't meant to be traded. They weren't meant to to build their empire and their good name. And I, I just need more of them to work for me. But actually, he says, no, you should be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and in love and in steadfastness, not being tossed to and fro by my emotions, by things that come along and set me off. I should not be quick-tempered. I shouldn't be moving uh, with the wind and whim of my emotions, but steadfast. Older women, likewise. Notice when he says likewise, it means everything that was added to the men also gets added to the ladies. Look at somebody and say, this is for you too. Likewise, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And notice he said, be sober-minded to the men, not slaves to much wine. It doesn't say that you can't have a glass. It doesn't mean that you can't go out wine tasting, but do not be a slave to it. 
Don't let it control you. Don't let it run your life. Don't don't be dominated by it. Do not allow culture to dictate. Do not allow the moment to decide. Allow the scriptures to drive you. Why? For your good, for your structure, for self-control. Here, 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 this is, this is not for harm. This is for your good. And like any parent with the family meeting, sometimes the children do not want to hear what the parents have to say. You notice that? All the teenagers are like, whatever. Right? Sometimes they don't want to hear it. Why? Because you're, you're trying to keep me from, from, from good things. You know, no one wants to let me have fun anymore, right? And sometimes we, we feel like that. Sometimes as believers, we feel as though God is an angry, overbearing dad in the sky who doesn't want to let us have any more fun. And then you remember the night that you had all the fun that you wanted to have, and you're like, get me out of this, and I'll never do this again, Right? <laughs> Right? Remember when he let you have all the fun and you're like, no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do this ever again. Right? And yet we have to remember God is for your good. And some of, some of these things, these discipline, this self-control is for your good, for human flourishing. Do not be slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. They are to teach what is good and so to train young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. Let me deal with that one just for a second. It doesn't mean that women can't work outside of the home. Actually, what you'll find is the great passage, Proverbs 31, that talks about a virtuous woman. It actually says that, that she's a baller and a shot caller, right? If you read Proverbs 31, this great virtuous woman, and, and oftentimes if you're in a women's Bible study, it's the one passage that you just want to keep reading over and over again. Let's study Proverbs 31. Let's talk about how great we are. Anyways, and... Uh, and, uh, and, and yet it's a great passage. And what it, what it says is that her attention and her focus is in raising her children and allowing her family to flourish. It doesn't mean that she doesn't have the resource and the ability. It says she finds a field, she contemplates buying it. And she says, okay, I'll buy this field. I'll plant this vineyard. She then has product that she sells out of her home. And, and, and because of how she interacts in her home and in the marketplace, people speak well of her and her husband and her children, and she has resource that, that is beyond what any of us could, could hope for on her own, yet her attention and her focus, her goal, the motivation is not for attention. The motivation is not for promotion. The attention is not for accolades or competition with her husband. It's not to see who could be the breadwinner. It's not to see who's the smartest. It is for the sake of her family and human flourishing. And that is the greatest accomplishment that any human being could have. To raise human beings out of all of the created order 
human beings, the one, the image bearers of God. God gives you the responsibilities to carry a child in your womb and to nurture and care for. Know that this should be your attention. This should be your focus. And God will give you grace. Even if you have to work another job, even, even if it doesn't look exactly like other people, uh, maybe it doesn't, doesn't fit all the molds, but I can tell you that this is a great call and a great honor. And our culture has demeaned it, has degraded it, has said you can wait on children, you can plan your family rather than boast in the glory of God that is the gift of a child in your womb. Teach the young ladies to love their husbands, not to despise them, to love their children, not to see them as something that's taking away from their dreams and goals and to move on to something bigger and better because there is nothing bigger and better than a human being that you are raising in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is the culture of the kingdom. It doesn't matter what politics are. It doesn't matter what the culture says. The reality of the scripture he says have the older ladies listen listen those who 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 are seasoned in life I love that term right don't you isn't that a good one you're like I'm sizzling right like uh I was gonna I I stopped uh getting ahead of myself Teach the young, you, you know what young women need in this culture like, is some older women go, listen, the, the, the children that God's given to you is a gift for you to cherish. Amen. Ladies, l- look at young moms that are coming along and go, listen, this is the time of your life. I, I, I know that they look like demons right now. <laughs> right? But this, uh, this is, this is going to be okay and he says, this is what we're to do. That's my soapbox for today. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. You don't get a pass, young man. You don't get a pass. You don't get to sow your wild oats because let me tell you, you will reap what you sow. Young man, be self-controlled, set an example. And when you're teaching, if God's given you the gift to teach, he's given you the biggest mouth and the smallest brain, right? And in your teaching, be dignified, a model of good speech that, that, that they don't hear uh, uh, something good and something evil coming out of your mouth. In one setting, you speak well, in another, you speak evil teaching well that's just how guys talk no friend get your mind right because what you sow is what you will reap that you be a model of good works teaching and show integrity and dignity and sound speech that no one that they cannot condemn you so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Man, I, I can just tell you, if you didn't know that already, like I'm always looking for a fight, okay? You're like, I, I just tell you, that's my nature, man. I, I, and as my buddy would say, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail, right? I, I, I just, there's something in me and I, I, gotta, I gotta rebuke that in my life. I, I gotta ask for the Lord to help me in that because I can't be a pastor and be quick-tempered. 
And I, I tell you, when I, I get in settings, I, I, that's, that's just my nature. And so w- when I hear and over the years hearing people say something negative or, or, or say something about my ministry or say something about my church, man, they better not say anything about my wife or my kids. That ain't even happened yet, but I'm just going to warn you, all right? And, uh, and, and so I, I can tell you that my nature is to go put out every single fire. That's kind of that's in me, fire with fire. I'm back, I didn't even know back. Backburning was a thing till I moved to California. I was like, I am a backburn. You know what I mean? I see a fire. I'm going to burn the fire right to you. Okay. We're going to put this thing. I'm going to fight fire with fire. But I had a, an older man, a seasoned man say to me one time, Sam, you can't put out every fire. You can't put out every fire. Isn't that true? How many of you have a personality like mine, right? You're just feisty. And, and, and yeah, some of you didn't raise your hand and we know who you are. <laughs> and, and, and yet, uh, he, he said to me, he said, Sam, you can't put out every single fire. And he quoted to me, uh, first Peter, uh, two 15, and it reads similar to Titus. Uh, first Peter reads like this. It says, it is the will of God that by doing good, you will put to silence the mouths of fools. The mouths of fools. One, uh, the nicer translation says this, you will put to silence the mouths of ignorant talk. In other words, if you do what is right, what will they have to say? Let me say that again. If you do what is right, what will they have to say? If I'm doing good, here's what he's saying. Make sure that in your speech, you're dignified sound, sober, integrous, so that an enemy will be put to shame, right? When they go to say something that's evil, when, when, when you think someone's gossiping about you, you think they're going to say, you don't have to go confront them. You don't have to put it. You can keep doing good. And I'll tell you, the rumor won't last long. Oh, that was pretty good, right? You, 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 you keep doing good and the rumor won't last long. The talk won't last. And so if you've done something wrong, repent, change the way you think. Remind them that you are broken and in pursuit, not perfected yet. And, and yet keep doing what God has called you to do. Amen. So they have nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in Everything. Let me clear this one up. For those who are opponents of the scriptures who say the Bible condones slavery, they'll use passages like Titus. Well, let me show you the, the, some, let me give you some things to think about when it says bond servants. One, bond servants are different than what our minds go to when we talk about slaves. But let me give you some context. Every culture under the sun in human history has had slaves. Every single one of them. There is only one book that was used in the, the abolitionists use to rid the world of slavery. It's this book. Let me tell you that there are many books that have been used to condone slavery. There's been one book to condemn it. Let me say it again. There have been many books taken out of context like the scripture to condone 
slavery, but there's one book in human history that was used to condemn slavery. Now, let me give you some context on where Titus comes in, and I think it's very strategic that those who canonized this library of books, 66 books of the Bible, put together, it's not just one book, it's many books. Titus comes right before this little page. If you turn your Bible, you'll see Philemon. Philemon is one page, one letter. And Philemon is a revolutionary book. And at first glance, if you're not careful, you'll take Philemon out of context because Philemon was a slave owner. Philemon was a man who had servants like many people in this culture. And a bond servant was someone who actually looked to someone who has substance or resource and they got in an agreement with someone and to have a bond between them that they would give their labor to them as long as they took care of them, housed them, fed them, and it would go to a... Uh, an agreement of time. This is what a bond servant was. And so they had a contract. You'll see this in the Old Testament as Jacob works uh, for his father-in-law in order to uh, pay a, a dowry for his wife, Rachel. And he agrees to work seven years in order to meet the dowry for Rachel. And so you'll see this throughout all of these cultures. Now, here's what's strategic about Philemon. Philemon is a letter. Here's what's happened. Onesimus was a slave who stole from Philemon. Philemon is actually a pastor, a leader of a house church. He's leading a congregation. He's a man who's trying to serve the Lord, but he finds himself in a culture and context where he has, he has children, he has bond servants, he has resource, and instead of using that to lord over them, he actually uses it to bring them together and have a house church. Now here's what happens. Onesimus steals from Philemon and he leaves and he makes his way out of town. Then Onesimus meets Paul. He actually comes to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And here's what Paul tells him to do. He tells him to go back and make it right. Now, Paul hands Onesimus a letter to Philemon, this letter. Now, Onesimus has the ability not to go back to Philemon. And actually the journey shows us that he could have a couple times made a couple decisions. Like, I don't want to go back. He has the right. As soon as I go back to his house, Philemon has the right by law to kill Onesimus. And yet Onesimus has this long track, this tumultuous journey back to Philemon. And in Philemon, here's how Paul addresses Onesimus. He says, this is my brother and your brother. Treat him and receive him as you would receive me. What a revolutionary idea. He sends a bondservant, a slave back to Philemon. And Paul says this to him. He says, listen, receive him not as a bondservant, but as a servant of Christ and treat him and greet him as you do me, as your brother. Now, why is this important? Because every single culture 
until the time of the scriptures, saw everyone else's tribe as less than human. If you want to talk about human rights, if you want to talk about human beings have rights, this is a new concept. And this is why our constitution says it this way, that you are endowed by who? Your creator. So the idea of loving human beings like yourself, Jesus says these famous words, love others as you do yourself. What is he saying? He's saying that all of these people are made in the image of God, all human beings, and they have intrinsic value and they have unalienable rights that cannot be taken away because they were not given by any human being or institution. So what does he do? Paul doesn't come out and condemn the culture. He works in the culture. He says something that speaks truth to power in such a way with love and care and actually ask Onesimus to serve. What, what does that do? He asks Onesimus to come and serve, much like what Titus says here. He says, bond servants are to be submissive to their masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not taking on the side, not thinking that it's yours, but serve in such a way that it changes those around you, that they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of our Savior, so that they may see. It's the idea that this person will serve in such a way, go the extra mile, to do more than they're asked of, to live in such a way, not just under contract, but live in such a way that people go, this is different. This, this is impactful in such a way that it changes those around us. So here's the big idea that he begins to show us. In all of these settings in Titus, he gives different categories and different groups of people. Now, the only distinguishing factor, notice this, has nothing to do with, with race. It has nothing to do with where you're from. It has nothing to do with your appearance. The categories are this, young and old. Young and seasoned. <laughs> Young and dumb and old and wise. Yeah, you like that better? Seasoned people, right? And male and female. Young and old, male and female. And then he gives this class situation where he goes, what about these people that in that culture were seen as something else? And he goes, no, no, no. Wherever you find yourself... In this regard, young, old, male, female, you're going to find yourself equipped, given gifts, distinctions that are, are unique to you. And when you find yourself in that position, serve in such a way that you unify those around you. He says, live in such a way that you're not dividing one another, but uniting one another. That you are serving in a way that complements 
one another. Where you see how, as a man, you have distinctions. And there's a difference between men and women. And you see the gift of God in the differences between men and women. So you have a culture that wants to remove those distinctions. We, wanna, we have a culture that wants to move away the, the, the beauty of nurturing mothers and the honor that comes with a strong masculine protector of a man. So we want to remove those distinctions, and yet God has placed those distinctions working together as the ideal. Is, is there grace when there's not the idea? Absolutely. But here's what he begins to show us, that we together, as unique and different groups of people, will be joined together with this one link, and that's serving the other as myself. Not taking my position, not lording over, not, not using my uniqueness in order to domineer and manipulate the other, but using it as such a way as for the good of others. If I see myself as uniquely gifted as a man, I use it for the sake of serving others. If I see myself as uniquely gifted as a woman, then I will use that in order to serve others and not my... Let's try that again and not my see this is the idea the idea is that I would put others above myself that's why at each category what does he say to live self-controlled lives see if you're going to serve you're going to have to control yourself if you're going to serve others, that means you're going to have to get a grip on yourself because yourself is trying to convince yourself that it's just about yourself. Yourself is screaming out, feed me, please me, give me, I want. Yourself is screaming out and you have to get control of yourself. So he says every single deal. You know, no, no, well, I'm this. And you'll try to put yourself forward. And what you'll find is this is absolutely damning to yourself. This is this will destroy yourself. You'll destroy those around you, others, and you'll miss out on the great gift that God has for us. You go, why should I do this? See, here's the reality. You may disagree with some of these passages in Titus. You may have bought into the cultural lie that there are no distinctions between men and women. Or maybe you've bought into the lie that there are many genders and your gender is however you feel on any particular day. But I can tell you it's not true and you can decide to buy into lies or you can wrestle with the truth. The truth that meets the eye, the truth that scientific reasoning will bring me to that conclusion, the truth of the scriptures. Because I can tell you the enemy's work is to try to remove these distinctions because there's beauty in diversity. 
See, the culture of the world is trying to convince us that they're all about equity and equality, but yet they're not. They're not about unifying people together. Every single line of their doctrine seems to divide people on cultural lines, on race lines, on gender lines, on class lines. And so when you talk about equality, the equality is this, that God, by his grace, has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Everyone. Bringing salvation to all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. That's the age of Titus, and that's the age of right here, right now. How do I know that? Because he says, waiting for our blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? It's, let me tell you, friends, with all the apocalyptic nonsense that goes around. Let me say that again. With all the apocalyptic end times nonsense that goes around and in every single culture and every single age, people say things like, man, we're living the book of Revelation and they've never read the book of Revelation. The blessed hope is not the rapture when we get the hell out of here. The blessed hope is not escaping. The blessed hope is that someday the king will return and we'll see him face to face. The appearing, our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let me deal with these last two parts. From all lawlessness. See, there's this idea that structure is evil. That hierarchy and authority, positions of roles and differences of roles, and if there's a hierarchy at all, it's intrinsically evil. And yet from the beginning of time, God has set order to chaos. You ever notice like how your heart feels when you walk into a room that's aesthetically pleasing? When the table's set, when things are in order, and when you walk into my house with four children. One brings comfort, the other one brings chaos of the soul. But there's something about order that brings peace to us. There's something that we know inside to be true. Why is it that we like things that are put together? Why do we stand in awe of buildings and structures? I was recently listening to a podcast with um, a couple gentlemen um, and the, the one guy on the podcast was talking about his journey of faith. He was a young man raised Methodist in Louisiana and he had, his mom had won a trip to Europe that she didn't want to go on. And he was kind of enamored with uh, European culture and Hemingway and, 
and all of the, uh, the authors that came from those eras and the philosophers. And, and so his mom actually sent him on the trip. He was a teenager with, with all these seasoned folks going on this trip. I can't get away from that term today. <laughs> on this trip to Europe. And he asked me, he'd kind of grown up in little churches in Louisiana. And, and the interviewer asked him, he said, what brought you to faith? And he actually said, I, I walked into this cathedral in Europe. And he said, I'd never seen something like this. The thought that had went into the structure of this building, the wonder and awe that they had put into it. He said, it, 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 it gave me this awestruck feeling. And man, uh, it was not quite in that moment, but it sent me on this journey that God is powerful. God's, and he got it from this cathedral, this structure. Now, some of us in our lives, man, and as a, a pastor, we think about the beauty and grandeur of this building, the thought that went into it. It's a beautiful place. But can I tell you that what the scriptures tell us, and when I listened to that, I was listening to that to last night, that podcast, and it made the, the idea is like, well, we got to build better buildings. We'll reach people for Jesus, right? We got to build cathedrals, right? And then I'm reminded of what the scriptures tell us. See, buildings are, are just a small fraction, a small glimpse, a small refracting light pointing us back to a creator. Why? Because there are people involved in the creation of it. And why did they go to such lengths to build such things? Because they believed that they were made in the image of a creative God. But here's what this passage tells me. The Bible tells me in the New Testament, and here's why Jesus and Paul and the disciples didn't call us to build great cathedrals and buildings. Because what God is doing is he's building a cathedral inside of you. The Bible says the temple of God is not made by human hands. But he's forming you. He's making you, moving you away from chaos and bringing you into structure and order the same way a great building, a great architect will put things together that are aesthetically pleasing to the glory of those who behold it. Purifying himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, here's what he's doing with the church. He's building the church and the church is not a building. He's building the church and the church is not a place. He's building the church and it's this group of people from all different walks of life, from all different ages and spaces and races and he's bringing them together broken and messed up and he's taking his mud trophy. You realize you're made from the dirt. He takes us and he forms us. He's making something beautiful out of the mess. And he's putting structure to your life, order to your life, self-control to your life. 
dignity to your life, sober-mindedness to your life. Why? So people like cathedrals can stand and behold the glory and work of God in your life. So that people don't have to go on a trip to Europe. They don't have to go to Mecca and see great cathedrals and temples. They can run into you at a coffee shop. They can meet you at a grocery store, in a parking lot, in a building where we gather together and they can stand and behold the wonders and glory of God, a people for his own possession. Don't despise discipline. Don't despise structure. Don't despise the roles because God is unifying for himself and he'll put you on display for his glory and the good of this valley. Will you pray pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace today. Help us, encourage us. Shape us and mold us. For cathedrals are merely refractions of light, but human beings are the image bearers. So place your image on us, shape us and mold us all the more every single day. Remove the sediment of sin, the dust that distracts. Help us to have self-control, dignified, sober-minded lives, husbands and wives, younger and older, whether we're bosses and managers or whether we're day laborers or whether it's in a contract that we have, paying our bills on time, making sure that we're not cheating here and skimming there, but we're living dignified, upright, holy, not chaotic, but godly lives for your glory and the good of others that they may stand and see that the Lord is good. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?